Friends, good morning. I hope you're well. We're continuing with our Stretching the Kingdom series this morning. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to last week's message, I encourage you to do that via our website when you can. Today's really the second part of a two-part introduction to the series. And I want to lean into what we explored last week about this new thing God is doing amongst us and some of the challenges that come from building that big tent. Our readings for this morning come from the Psalms and 1 Corinthians. And so we begin first with Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And now 1 Corinthians 16, reading verses 13 and 14. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. And so, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be found pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, a lively seaport where people and cultures of every sort jostled together, is a letter full of wisdom and challenge. The young church there was as lively as the city itself with just as many questions and problems along with all their joys and excitement. But as we come to it, our New Testament reading is two short verses from the very end of this letter to the Christian community. Paul has spent what we now have as 16 chapters encouraging and teaching the church and helping them through some of their issues. Now as it comes to a close, Paul is getting specific. He talks to them about Timothy and Apollos, who are part of the team working to share the gospel and encourage new church communities. And in the midst of all of that, he gives some general instructions. They almost read a bit like commands that someone would give a guard, and they sort of go up in scale too. Keep awake, stand firm, be brave, be strong. Being followers of Jesus is no easy thing, and Paul sees the church in Corinth facing all sorts of dangers. You see, you can't really just drift along in the Christian life, hoping that things will work out. The people in the church there are being encouraged to take some responsibility. This is one banquet where the guests, in turn, become the hosts. They're to stay engaged, thinking and doing their best to grow, and see that their life together reflects the light of Christ as best it can. But what they can't and what we can't do is to try and do any of it through force or through bullying or through arrogance. This can't be a community where the loudest voice always wins. Everything must be done in love, which is in many ways the key to this whole letter to the Corinthian church. So as the Apostle Paul finishes it, he, this is the thing he wants them to remember. They need to keep their eyes open to hold tight to their convictions, give it everything they've got, to be resolute and to love without stopping. You would think that everyone would welcome a community like that, wouldn't you? 
except that it wasn't the case for the Corinthian church and it's seldom been the case since. That resolute determination to love is offensive to so many. It's always been that way. When the Holy Spirit gets to work shaping and molding and challenging us to live up to this calling, to love one another, this calling that God has placed on our lives, there are always going to be challenges. And what makes the gospel offensive is seldom who it keeps out, but it's who it lets in. History shows us that religious types are really good at building walls and retreating to temples. We're good at making mountains out of our ideologies and obstructions from our theologies and hills out of our screwed up notions of who's in and who's out and who's worthy and who's unworthy. In short, friends, too often we're good at getting in the way. Perhaps we're afraid that if we move, God might use people and methods that we don't approve of, that rules will be broken, theologies questioned. Perhaps we're afraid that if we get out of the way, this grace thing might get out of hand. Well, I think that ship has already sailed. Grace got out of hand the moment the God of the universe hung on a Roman cross and with outstretched hands looked out upon those who had hung him there and declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Grace has been out of hand for more than 2,000 years. Really, we best be getting used to it. Creating a place that is a blessing to everyone, including those who aren't already part of our church community. A place where others come alive and find their voice and feel accepted and gain confidence, can find trust and love and hope. It doesn't sound like much. And for plenty, it will never be enough. But right from the beginning of Abraham's journey out of Ur in Genesis 12, blessing has been at the heart of what it means to be God's children. But to be sure, it takes courage. We are, in the words of Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, compelled by Christ's love because we are convinced that one died for all. We want more people knowing Jesus, finding a faith that's spacious and light and tolerant and open. And we have the job of being a beacon of that faith and of telling others about it too. Paul Bayes, the Bishop of Liverpool, writes that we must always be ready with an explanation for anyone who asks you the grounds and shape of hope that is within you. But we must always also be ready to pay the price for offering that explanation As someone who's been part of seeking to ensure LGBTQ inclusion in the church, he writes in his book, The Table, he says, I've been called a false teacher and people have refused to receive communion from my hands. I've been richly and personally abused by a crowd of people, some of whom I know and some of whom I do not. But I am unshaken and unpersuaded by any of this. His argument is that too many outside the church experience this sequence of behave, believe and belong. You've got to put your life straight, conform to the codes of behaviour of the community, receive instruction and teaching about why you need to conform and then you will be accepted by God as a faithful servant and by the church community as a member. And he says that this way of seeing the community, it, it has a clarity that attracts some within the family of faith. But it just isn't how the world works. It isn't how people work. 
being committed to this offensive level of grace and the inclusion that it brings with it is something that understandably induces some levels of anxiety in many of us, including me. But what I have to appreciate, what I believe God is showing at the church, is that we can be more relaxed about it. If God is real, then the work of the Spirit will not need border guards. If we draw a line that includes us and excludes many others, we'll always find Jesus is on the other side. At least that is so if we're speaking of the biblical historic Christ who eats with sinners and outsiders, who became sin itself for us, for all of us. But we know that living this way would cost Jesus his life. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, we find Jesus talking to his disciples and he says, Jesus warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? There's no way of hiding from it. These are really challenging words. Far from a life of, of faith, a life as Jesus' disciples, being about sorting ourselves out with a comfortable religion and following the path of least resistance and everything being all hunky-dory all the time, it's far more difficult, far more challenging and far more faith-stretching than that. We're faced with choices so often where we can take up our cross and be faithful to what God is calling us to be and do or we can refuse to pick it up, which might bring us temporary relief in those initial moments, but we'll have to live wondering what could have been and what we could have been part of the Spirit doing. Will we push through our fears about the future and forge a new community of hope and reconciliation Will we turn away from exclusion and have our life together shaped and renewed by those who are too often on the margins? These two questions, for us at least, are seemingly bound together in these days. Pope Francis is helping the church embrace something of this spirit and in his writing, Joy of the Gospel, he says this, I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting and dirty because it's been out on the streets rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. I do not want a church concerned with being at the centre and which then ends up uh, by being caught in a web of obsessions and procedures. If something should rightly disturb us and trouble our consciences, it is the fact that so many of our brothers and sisters are living without the strength, light and consolation born of friendship with Jesus Christ without a community of faith to support them, without a meaning and a goal in life. More than by fear of going astray, my hope is that we will be moved by the fear of remaining shut up within structures which give us a false sense of security, within rules which make us harsh judges, within habits which make us feel safe, while at our door people are starving and Jesus does not tire of saying to us, give them something to eat. Bruised, hurting, dirty. Could that be us? Would we take up our cross if that's what it looked like? 
We don't know exactly what it will look like for us into the future, and that's okay. We can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world, and we can have faith because the Spirit is alive and at work. And, you know, new things often start with a sense of mystery. God seldom lays out the way forward for us step by step. But you see, as Barbara Brown Taylor has written, new life starts in the dark. Whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. And the talk of 1 Corinthians reminded me of Psalm 130 this week, which wasn't my planned Old Testament reading for today, but as I prepared, I kept being drawn back to it, where we read about these watchmen waiting for the morning and the encouragement for the people of God to put their hope in the Lord, because with him there is full redemption because of his unfailing love. Friends, it may be dark, but the watchmen are on the walls. They're waiting for the morning, waiting for the light to come, waiting for the way ahead to be clear. There's a sense of anticipation and acknowledgement that there is more light to come. And you know, that's us. Those watchmen scanning the horizon for how God is at work. And that's us courageously sharing God's love, even if it becomes a tough cross for us to bear willing to embark on this new journey because we believe that love wins. Last year we learned a song called Take Courage. It's been in my mind in recent days and it seems to capture this moment for us so well. Take courage, stay steadfast, hold on to hope. God will reveal what's to come, so breathe in. God is with us. God doesn't fail. If you get some time this week, do look it up, give it a listen. And friends, you would think that the kind of church we've been describing, holding fast to the overwhelming kindness and generous love of God, a church living this kind of faith wouldn't have too much trouble with anyone. Don't believe a word of it. The grace of God has been offending people for thousands of years. But that's okay though. Because just like all those communities who have been renewed and moved by the Spirit before us, we're not finished yet. Our future is bigger than our past, and we believe in the God who does resurrections. So friends, keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute and love without stopping. Amen. Now next week, we're going to step away from our Stretching the Kingdom series for one week and I'm delighted that Pastor Fred will be sharing with us on the subject of prayer. And after that, we'll turn our focus more specifically to issues around LGBTQ inclusion. But for this morning, I want to uh, leave you with another poem from poet and URC minister Lucy Berry, a poem called Welcome Notices from her collection Church of Snails. God decided that for six days he'd change all the notices outside the world's churches so that they told the truth. So for six days, God's children passing on the outside of each church could tell exactly what kind of people were singing and praying on the inside. Every notice which had once proclaimed, all are welcome here in the name of Jesus, now told the whole truth. Some now said, if you look like us, we welcome you. And some said, all are welcome here, but please don't get the idea that we want you to think or to make suggestions. 
Some said, we'd like your children for our dwindling Sunday school. And some said, we're a bit nervous of everyone, even of each other. But come on in and we'll have a go. Some said, oi, sinners, we don't hold with drug taking and prostitution, unmarried mothers, divorced people, gays or women who believe they can do theology. You know who you are. Or all God's children are welcome here, although we do not consider that everyone qualifies as such. Our welcome list is conditional, uh, short but inflexible. Ask inside for details. And there were those which said, all are welcome here, who kind of like the idea of Christianity. And some said, come in and learn our vocabulary so that we can tell you about God. For six days, God's children passing on the outside could read exactly what kind of people were singing and praying on the inside. And God saw scattered across the world just a few notices outside churches which hadn't changed, which still said, all are welcome here in the name of Jesus, because that had been true from the start. On the seventh day, it was time to go back to church. And of course, by then, the old notices had returned. But by then, God's children passing on the outside knew what kind of people were singing and praying on the inside, generally much easier and safer than venturing inside and trying to read all those signs. All are welcome here in the name of Jesus. It doesn't sound easy to me, but it does sound good, and it does sound worth the journey to get there. Grace and peace to you, my friends. Amen.